Hello and welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a parenting podcast where you can detox from the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with detox. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and on today's episode, I am honored to be joined by the host of the Stacks Podcast, Tracy Thomas. I've listened to the Stacks for a couple of years now, uh, ever since Zeke Smith was on there. And it's a great podcast. So it's a podcast where they have, uh, Tracy has guests on to talk about their own life and perspective, as well as to discuss the current book that they are reading, because it is a podcast book club. So if you're looking for a book club to become a part of, you don't have the time to get involved with one. The Stacks is a great resource for that. They're also doing a lot of great work to help you diversify your bookshelf. Tracy and I get into those topics today. We also get into some personal conflicting feelings uh, one may have about certain books that are being touted around, such as White Fragility or others. It's a really good perspective on how you can step off of the sidelines and into the discussion and be a uh, active participant if you are a white individual and you're recognizing everything that's been going on this year and realizing that you need to do better. We all need to do better. So it's a great conversation. I highly recommend it. And uh, <laughs> I will tell you that Tracy, I find out, uh, is not a huge fan of jokes. So the dad joke segment has an extra number of crickets this time. But don't worry. Don't let that stop me. The segment still goes on. But Tracy was an absolute delight. I look forward to having her on again. Check out the stacks. And uh, this brings us to today's sponsor for the podcast. It is Snuffy. Snuffy is a clothing brand about empowering you to show your weird unapologetically with bravery and confidence. 10% of profit goes to LGBTQ plus organizations led by trans people of color. Shop online now at snuffy.co. That's snuffy, S-N-U-F-F-Y dot C. Oh, and the owner of the company is Nick Silvestri. He designed the Detox logos, both the regular one and the Pride Month one. So if you like his work and you want to go ahead and support him and his company, head on down to snuffy.co and get yourself some great merchandise. My conversation with Tracy will be right up after this. Welcome back to the Detox Podcast. With me at this time is one of my favorite podcast hosts of all time. Her name is Tracy Thomas. She is the host of the fabulous, fabulous podcast, The Stacks. And I recommend it to folks all the time if they are literary aficionados, if they want something to get involved with, but they don't want the commitment of actually going over to someone's house. Well, well, now you can't, but in general, if you want to connect with a group or if you want uh, recommendations on what's good, I've read so many fantastic books through the recommendations of the stacks. I'm super excited. But all that to say, Tracy, thank you so much for stopping by the show today. How are you doing? I'm so good. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad we're going to get to talk. That's such a kind and generous intro. So thank you. Of course. Now, there's a there's a few specific topics I want to get into. And I think they'll be very timely, um, kind of specifically around the this idea of folks who want to be more active allies. Perhaps they've been passive um, observers in the past, and now they've been throughout this entire year really awoken that, wow, I'm not doing anything positive. I'm just sitting on the sidelines, and I'd love to educate myself and get involved and do what I can to to be more active and out there and help the in their way. And so I think 
your show is a great resource for that. And I want to get into that. But before we even go all, all that way, one question I like to ask parents that come on is what do you think makes a good parent? <laughs> I'm such a new parent. Who knows? Um, I don't know. Discipline. I, I have no idea. I, like I follow a very regimented schedule. I'm the, a new mom of twins. So twins is a whole different ball game. I think, um, from my understanding right, yeah. of what it's like having one kid and then two kids versus having two kids at once. But I don't know. I had good parents. They um, taught, they, they really were social justice minded from a young age. So I think, I mean, aside from getting your kids to sleep at night, I think like teaching your kids to uh, do good in the world. And right. I don't know. I don't know. There's also parents who I think like are well-intentioned who are shitty parents in my opinion, of them. Very so true. I don't know. Very true. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think, I think that's really good. And, you know, one, one thing that I've been learning, cause yeah, I have two kids, but they're, you know, one's five and one's three. And so it was a little like, okay, let me figure, figure a few things out. And then let me see if I can improve upon some of my mistakes the second time around, or if I'm just exacerbating the problem of me. And, and what you find out is, you know, you can only do so much and, uh, some of it comes down to just making sure that you're equipping them the best that you can. And and I think part of that, a lot of that goes into making sure that you're answering questions that kids are already having about the world and the people that they see in the world and how are they supposed to interact with the world. And you as a parent, like one as a parent, not you specifically, but all of us as parents, it's our job to give them the, the appropriate language and the appropriate mindset so that way we can kind of um, call this behavior that we see get getting um, people into these situations with shootings and brutality and all of this. I mean, it starts, it starts young and it, that has to start somewhere. And then people are shaped by their immediate world and then it's just fed and fed and fed and then it grows. And so I think to counter that, we need to make sure that we're doing the work at home. Um, and I, and I, and one of the things that was important for me was, you know, as a, as a, cisgender white man in America is to make sure that our bookshelves at home are not all my story, you know, are not all representative of my interaction with life. And so it, it, it's, uh, it can be difficult to find maybe the right way to start. And I'd love to know from your perspective, um, with conversations that you've had with folks, uh, either recently or just in general, when they're looking to build out their bookshelves, right? And have kid books as well as, um, you know, books for themselves that are representative of different experiences so they can learn and educate. Where where are you directing them to? Are there specific groups and authors that you're pointing them to to get started? What's the best way that you see that conversation taking shape? Hmm. So I think what you're asking me is like, how can people diversify their bookshelves? Right. Is that okay? I just want to make sure that I, I'm answering what, what you're asking. Right. Um, so the simple, a simple answer <laughs> is like 
follow the stacks on Instagram and like, right. <laughs> you know, like there, there are people like me, not just, I'm, that's kind of tongue in cheek. There are people like me who are, who are on Instagram, who are in the book world, who are constantly recommending books by diverse authors, right? Like if, if all you want to do is diversify your bookshelf is to buy books and bring them into your home so that your bookshelves have authors of different identities from you, whether that's racial identities, gender identities, um, different people with different ability levels, like it's all doable. And, and it's as simple as saying, what's a book about chronic illness, you know, and going out and buying sick, let's say. Um, but if the question is sort of about the spirit of diversifying your bookshelf, right? And like, actually, how do you make someone want to bring those stories into their life? The only thing I can really say to that, of course, like you, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink, right? Like you could buy all of those books. You could buy every book I have in my house, but if you're not reading it, like you have yeah. a great Instagram photo. So I guess in the spirit of how do you get people to be interested in books by people of different stories, I don't know that you can. All I can say is that I, I read a lot. I read a lot and I have not read all the stories that I want to read. And I read a lot and I've read stories about all sorts of different people. And I, of course, gravitate to books that are about things that I'm interested in. And as a Black woman in America, I read a lot of books about Black people, about Black women, about women, about... I like nonfiction, so I read a lot of nonfiction, but there are books about all of these things by all sorts of authors. So if you're struggling because you don't like the latest novel thriller by a queer Mexican woman because you don't like thrillers, like, then don't buy that book. Like, it does, you know what right. I'm saying? Like, if you want to yeah. diversify your bookshelf to say, I have Ibram Kendi's book and Ibram Kendi is a famous person who talks about race but I actually am not interested in books about race then like this is That's silly you know yeah. so I guess yeah. like Google is what I'll tell you I have a book list I have a I have a bookshop on bookshop.org and it has lists like an anti-racist anti-black racism reading list I have a read black stories list I have lists of all I have lists of books that are coming out that I'm personally super excited about and I would say of that list of maybe like 15 books, 13 of them are by art, uh, authors of color, you know? So like the resources are there if you want to get right. the books. The question is, are, are you going to read them? Are you going right. to read them? And then are you going to internalize them and not just as teaching tools, right? Like yeah. we're all taught to read, I don't know, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Like that's a book everyone right. had to read. And like, yeah. I don't relate to that story at all personally. I actually don't like the book but that's a whole other episode. That's fair. <laughs> you know, or like, or like The Great Gatsby, another book that I don't like, but I had to read and it was by someone who was nothing like me. And I learned things about writing and about literature from those books. And I also learned things about myself, like the things I don't like, which I think are as important as the things you do like, especially, you know, when it comes to reading. But no one ever said to me, you can choose not to, um, you can choose not to engage with this text because it's not about you. Right. And right. like, I think a lot of white people feel like they can choose not to engage with certain texts because it's not their experience or they don't understand it or they don't get every right. reference. And if I didn't get every reference in a book that I read, I wouldn't read anything, you know? Right. So 
That's sort of a long and short answer uh, <laughs> right. with no answer. So there you right. go. <laughs> no, I really like it. And I think, you know, something that I know that I've said and had to, you know, back years ago and really had to walk walk that back and, and recognize um, some of my own privilege and, and correct it moving forward was when I'm thinking about, oh, I should read books by all other people other than cisgender white men. It was like, well, I just don't, there aren't any good blank authors. Right. And then, and then realizing it's like, well, the mark marketing of different bookstores and different companies is what controls what you're aware of and therefore drives your buying patterns and therefore is what drives success rates. So yes, there may not be because you have not been made aware of them. It's a similar conversation I was having with someone when they said, you know, as far as like the women's soccer, U.S. soccer team not getting paid the same as the men, it's like, well, but the men draw bigger crowds. Well, the men are getting advertised out the wazoo to get crowds to come to the games and the women aren't. And so it's like, if you put the same kind of marketing power to a more successful product, anyways, I could go on, I digress. But, but when I recognized it's like, no, th these authors in all of these genres that I like exist and it's more than just one type of author then it opened up the world to be able to recognize what type of books um, there could be and it you know a good thriller is a good thriller and it's interesting to see different perspectives in different settings um, because you're not having the old English countryside estate with uh, the <laughs> lord and lady of the house kind of a thing and and I think that's something that we also that we need to be aware of I, I really would like to kind of get your perspective and i'm going to try and think of the best and nicest way to to broach this question because it's been something that's been very top of mind i know that you recently if i recall correctly covered white fragility on the podcast right so what is the best way I can you don't have to this? ask it uh, nice or best you could just <laughs> ask the question it's okay well i have been having conversations with other cisgender white folks such as myself about where to start. And my favorite book, which I, I'm 99% sure I got recommended through the stacks was to Nehesi Coates's We Were Eight Years in Power, which really opened up my eyes. I didn't even know about redlining until I read his book. And that was two years ago. And so, I mean, that just shows how little, and I didn't know about the, the um, riots in Tulsa until watching Watchmen last year, this year. I mean, there's so much that I don't know that's happened in America that I've not been made aware of intentionally. And so, so thinking through that, when people that were coming up and saying, what books are you reading? I, that's the first book that I recommend and I give examples for why I recommend it. And I like it so much and they're like, okay, cool. I just bought white fragility. So I'm going to start there. And I just, I, I don't think it's a problem to read a book that discusses the nature of white privilege written by a white person but I do struggle that maybe I I struggle personally because some of the folks that I'm thinking of I know gravitated towards it because it was uh, an easy lift it was a little bit more comfortable to read something by a perspective that they have um, and so I, I debate mentally on whether it's they're just going to read that and feel like they've done their part and they're good or if it's, this is just like a gateway book that's going to open them up to better, not better, to books by um, different authors other than white folks. And so I really, that's my internal struggle. And so I go back and forth on that. And I'd really love to get your perspective on like, what are the, what are the, like, what are the complex emotions that I'm having there? And then what are like, um, what, where can we take that? Like, where can we take the good and from the, 
the wanting to read it um, and not just have a cool Instagram photo and use it as an opportunity to expand one's knowledge now that they've opened up that conversation. Does, does that kind of make sense? It's a little bit of a clunky. Yeah, no, I mean, train, look, but... you're not going to be able to make anyone read something they don't want to read. Like, right, no, like people, I mean, I don't mean to be flip about this, but no. my feeling is that yeah, some people are going to read White Fragility. Some people are going to buy White Fragility and they're going to start it and they're not going to like it and they're not going to finish it. Those people probably right. aren't picking up another book about racism. Um, there are people who might even finish it and they're still probably not picking up another book. And like, while I think that those people, I don't think that's your problem or anyone else's problem. I do think that those people are your problem, right? Like those are your people. Right. Those are the people you're responsible right. to. Like that's your accountability. So if that's not right. going to get through to them, maybe you need to have a conversation and a super difficult one. And you need to tell them that you're sorry, you're, you're embarrassed by them. You're, you feel sorry for them, that they are right. bringing shame to you, that you don't want to be friends with them. I mean, whatever it is that's coming up sure. for you. You might right. have to have those conversations. Obviously, not you specifically necessarily, right. but just you in general. Right. Um, if that's yeah. your mom or your cousin or whatever. I mean, like, look, my mom started, my mom is white and she started White Fragility when I, because I read this book when it first came out and then I read it again for the podcast after the murder right. of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. Um, I, I told my mom to read it after I read it and she started it and then she like got uncomfortable and didn't like it and felt weird about it. And I was like, I... I'm disappointed in you, you know? And like, I had to have that conversation with her of like, if this is hard for you reading this book, like imagine what it's like being black, you know? And like, yeah. and, and I think that the thing about this particular book, White Fragility, I understand that people don't like, let me take that back. I understand that people are upset about the fact that this book has gone to the top of all the bestseller lists right. in this modern moment, in this current moment. But right. Robin D'Angelo wrote this book two and a half or two years ago, maybe three yeah. years ago with a very specific audience. Her publisher is Beacon Press. It's a very small imprint of a larger, of Penguin Random House, but it's not like a super buzzy thing. She didn't write this book thinking be a best, and it wasn't a bestseller. Right. And so I think this idea that like, the fact that I, I don't try to say is I don't think that Robin D'Angelo is to blame. I think she wrote a very good book. I think that the book is really important, but I hear a lot of people saying like, oh, a white woman is profiting off black pain and all this stuff. And it's like, well, sort of, but really she wrote this book, this academic book. Like I just read another book from this publisher last week called Ace and it's about asexuality and it'll be out tomorrow when this oh, episode awesome. comes out and I'm sure nobody will buy it. And it's a fantastic book, but like, this is a kind of an academic E publisher. Sure. And the point is that like, she found success because of all of these things. And because white people felt more comfortable buying a book by white people than buying a book by black people. But again, that's not really Robin D'Angelo's fault. And the content of the book no, is good not. and it's her life work. And like, I just, I'm not saying this necessarily to you, but I've heard a lot of this criticism and like even white people coming to me and being like, you shouldn't be promoting this book. Oh, wow. And me being like, you shouldn't be telling me what to do, first of all. Yeah, definitely. Second of all, <laughs> second of all I already read this book. I read this book in right. March of 2019, the first time. Yep. And then I read it again this year. And I think it's a valuable book. I think if it's the only book you read on race, 
that's bad. But I think if any book is the only book you read on race, that's also bad. And I also think on a totally separate but right. con- 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 similar note, on a totally similar note, all of these like self-help race books, so books like Why I'm Not Talking to White People About Race, How to Be an Anti-Racist, White Fragility, um, Me and White Supremacy, I think all of these books have a place in the book world and I think they're valuable and they have valuable things to say, but I also don't think that those books are actually teaching you about race. I think Mm -hmm. if you want to learn about race, you should be picking up book history books, books that are like, for example, I I would suggest maybe something like White Trash by Nell Irvin Painter. I would suggest Stamp from the Beginning by Ibram X. Kendi. I would suggest um, White Rage by Carol Anderson. I would suggest Warmth of Other Sons by Isabel Wilkerson. These are books that are going to teach you about race as a construct in America versus these books that are going to teach you about yourself in relationship to racism. And I think that's that's a huge distinction. Oh, and one more book I would definitely shout out is um, When Affirmative Action Was White by Ira Katz Nelson. Um, Mm. It's it's a a great look. It's a white guy who wrote it. It's a great book. It's about white people. That's the other thing. I feel like white people white, writing about white people when it comes to racism is a, is a nice change. Black yeah. people shouldn't be the only people who have to write about this stuff. Sure. No, that's a good point. I think my question, and I'm glad you, you brought up the distinction about um, reading about the history of race versus the the your you the individual's relation to race and so crucial and i and i want to i know uh, people may get the wrong thing from what i was saying about it and really my i'm glad you talked about the book and the author as well of white fragility because i have zero issues with the book and the author of the book it was more of my immediate circle of interactions with people who were buying the book in order to it appeared to start to do the work, but but just buying the book because buying the book was what was quote unquote in. And that's where I had a little bit of a sour note associated with it. And I was like, I don't think I need to have a sour note associated with it. I think I need to have a sour note associated with those folks that I'm thinking of. And, right. Yeah. I Look, the book, I really like the book. I know that some people don't like the book and there are people who have valid criticism of the text of the book. And I'm totally, I, I hear that and I see that. And I don't think it's the greatest book ever written, but I, I hear what you're saying. You're saying people who are buying the book for like performative reasons. And yes. I think that yes, if you're buying you. yeah. any book, if you're buying any book, one single book to learn about pretty much anything, like if your goal is like, I want to learn about X, Y, and Z, and I'm going to read one book. <laughs> Like, that's a problem. And that's so right. obvious, right? Like, if I was like, I'm going to learn about the Queen of England, and I bought one book, you would be like, are you, are you kidding? You're only going to yeah. read one book about this entire huge system that goes back hundreds and hundreds of years and is, like, right. deeply entrenched in the fabric of this nation? Like, you're going to read one book, and then you're going to try to tell, like, so that's kind of how yeah. I look at people reading, like, one book about race, whatever it is, whether it's how to be an anti-racist or white fragility or whatever, right. like one yeah. book, like, come on. Right. And it's so, you know, pivoting a little bit because I think, I think it's so key in that, you know, it's been made more and more clear to me having uh, a child that is, you know, two kids and then one that is five and is regularly interacting with the world. And what I'm recognizing at times is, 
you know, I, I need to be intentional about the language I use for folks that she asks questions about. And she's not asking, like, lately, um, you know, it's not been racial questions. So far, that has not come up at all. Um, it's been something where she's not, you know, been made aware of that. I mean, I'm sure she's noticed it from like a visual standpoint, but has not commented on people's different skin tones. It's been more around the fact of um, people, um, the conversation around, this is what it is, conversation around, you know, can boys wear dresses or, you know, same sex relationships or, you know, you know, you're allowed to do that because you're a girl. He's not allowed to do that because he's a boy and really being intentional about correcting that. And I know that it's, it's not behavior she's picked up here. It's been behavior picked up somewhere else. And that's been something where it's been a little bit of a wake up call. That's like, Hey, these negative thoughts and behaviors start early and they start in friends groups and you've got to like really shut it down. And it's been, it's been difficult. And so I think what we've been trying to do is have regular conversations about, you know, um, individual people and all people are created differently, but they're all, um, beautiful and they are able to, you know, live the life they want to live. And sometimes that looks like this. Sometimes it looks like that. And giving specific examples of different types of families and relationships has been helpful for her to have a base and understand, oh, okay, my family dynamic looks like this, but not everyone's does. And that's been good, good and helpful. And, and something that I have to keep thinking, cause I want to naturally go like further and further and further with the conversation is some advice that I got early on was when you're having these conversations, these difficult conversations, and they're asking questions, like answer them in the best way for them to understand at the age they're at and keep answering the questions until they stop asking questions in the moment and then like go a little bit further each time that they ask questions because then they're learning and growing and you're not overpowering them. But I think it's it's so interesting to me to think about the landscape of how children's literature is changing. This is something I wanted to talk on was um, recently I had Kate Messner, author of Chirp on the podcast a couple weeks ago. And in the book Chirp, she, it's a, it's a YA book about this girl coming of age and she goes home for the summer and helps her grandma with her cricket farm and also does American Ninja Warrior type stuff and all this awesome thing. But in the midst of it, she also covers the fact that there was a little bit of a, oh, I forget the the U.S. Olympic trainer that got arrested. Um, Larry oh, Nassar. Larry, thank you. Thank you. Yes. So there was a similar situation like that in the book that she covered. And it was very, I was impressed at how, how mature it was, how mature, how a subject that mature was handled in such a delicate and like age appropriate way. And it really opened my eyes. I was like, these things that are difficult to have conversations about in my mind are happening and we need to be equipped to have the language to speak to it and to train our kids up and, and make them aware of it. And so I say all of that to, to talk through what has been some of, cause I know you do read a lot. So what have been some of the maybe more impressive books that you've read um, with regards to like YA or kids literature um, that have covered some of these difficult topics, whether race or whether uh, sexuality, et cetera, that you've been pretty impressed with the delivery of? Yeah, 
I'm not the best person for this because I don't read a ton of YA, but the sure. YA that I read mostly is really good because I only read stuff that's come recommended like 50 times. So sure. one of my favorite YA authors is Jason Reynolds. He mm. um, is just oh, yes, a dream. Yes. He's so brilliant. He was on the podcast and he's just like, ugh, I just love everything about him. Um, he's just a dream. And he wrote the YA version of Stamped from the beginning called Stamped with Dr. Ibram Kendi. Um, his book, uh, Look Both Ways, is one of my most favorite books I read last year. And it's for middle grade, so it's even younger. Um, I just read a book called Pet um, and I don't know how to pronounce their name, a quakey, a mezzy, I believe is their name. And it's about a similar topic that you were saying in Chirp. It's about um, abuse, child abuse of some kind. It's not ex expressly said, I believe it's sexual abuse, but the author writes both books for adults. Um, so their most recent new release for adults is called The Death of Vivek OG. And they also wrote the book uh, Freshwater. And then this book, Pet, is a young adult book. Um, another book for there. This is a children's book, like like a picture book that I just got, and it's called Black Is a Rainbow Color, and I just love it so much. Oh, nice. I have no idea who wrote it, but I just love it. Um, and I also love this book. Isn't necessarily about race, but it's a book that is. I think it's about grief and empathy, and it's called The Rabbit Listened another children's book. And I love it so, 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 so much. I, every night I want to read it to my children and I'm like, maybe you should read a different book, but they're only eight months. So they don't know. And so if I want to read it, I want to read it. Um, so those are some books for young, younger people though. I do also just want to throw this out there. Um, as a black woman and as a person who and my father is black and I have many friends who have black children and other people who are people of color. I think that the idea that children can't handle certain things is a very white idea because yes. black That's... children and other children of color were exposed to the violence and the racism and the trauma from such a young age. Like I don't ever remember someone teaching me what the N word meant. Right. Like I just, it's just always something I've known. I just always knew that right. that was a word for black people that was bad and mean and came from slavery. And I'm sure someone told me at some point, but this idea that like children can't handle this stuff or that we need to treat children with kid gloves is a very, very white idea. Of course, all parents want to protect Agreed. their children, but I'm not concerned about I'm just not concerned about that with my kids because I know that what I'm, what we're talking about, what I'm warning them about, what I'm protecting them about, that conversation is a whole lot easier than dealing with the fact that like my sons could be shot by the police. Yeah, so like explaining that to them and teaching them about that, I'd much rather do that than have to be on a press conference talking about my son being murdered by the police. Do you know what I'm getting at? Uh, I do. And that just gave me like goosebumps because it's like, it's, it's so real and, and, and raw and it's, you know, you're so right in that it is, it is privileged to be able to think that my kids can't handle these conversations because they're not exposed, because they don't start the day, you know, at an, I don't know how to say it, added like a negative balance. Right. Well, know? someone, someone said to me, and I thought this was really, this was before I was a parent and someone said this to me, or maybe I, I can't remember I, this got in my brain somehow. Um, 
And it was that parents teach their children to their worst nightmare. So for a lot of parents, their worst nightmare is that their kid doesn't go to college. For a lot of white parents, their worst nightmare is their kid doesn't go to college. So it's about test scores or it's about you need to be, you need to turn your homework in on time and all of this stuff. And so that's where, and then when it comes to black parents, our worst nightmare is our kid's going to get shot by a vigilante or a police officer. So we're teaching our children about respect and respectability politics and how to act in white spaces and how to protect themselves and how to be twice as good. And so the ways in which children are taught is that we're teaching to the parents' worst nightmare. So for a lot of parents, they can't even conceive of some of the things that, that black and brown families are, are teaching their kids around. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was really, when, when I heard that, and I heard it years ago, so I know I'm not saying it exactly right, but I found that to be really profound. Um, thinking about how I was raised and the people around me. And, you know, I think children of color have stricter parent parents are stricter because they're worried about much more important things than is my kid going to go to Harvard, you know? And like, sure. Who doesn't want their kid to go to Harvard, but like, you can't, if that's the worst thing that happens to your kids, they don't get into Harvard. Like you're raising a totally different person. Yeah, no. And that's so, that's so true. And you're, you're cutting out those perspectives. And so folks aren't aware of it. I was uh, a former guest of the podcast. I want to give him a shout out. uh, Jacinto Ramos Jr. He's the, on the Fort Worth ISD school board here in Texas. And uh, he talked, told a story about his son um, and uh, who's uh, Latinx and, you know, his two friends, one who's black and one who's white, were going into a wealthy suburban 7-Eleven for a 10 o'clock Slurpee, right? So something totally normal. It's summer, kids are hanging out and a police officer wouldn't let the two kids of color in because they match descriptions of people in the area, but they let the white kid go in fine. And so the kid, the white kid was like, no, this is, this is awful. Let's get out of here. This situation is not going to go well. And, and he told the officer they were his friends and because he was white, the officer listened to him and then they left. And, but he said, I, he said, when I heard that story of my son telling me that I was worried because I didn't know what was going to happen. You know, it was in that situation where it's like, I, I was, he, Jacinto was talking about how he was worried his son wasn't coming home and how he had to have his version of the talk as far as race relations in America and racism in America with his sons from an extremely early age, just like you were saying. And it, and this is back when my kid was a, like a baby, like under two and my oldest. And it was something where I, it was in that moment I realized, God, I have a lot of privilege. I've never had that conversation with my parents. And I didn't even think, didn't enter my stratosphere as to when I'm going to have that with my kids because it doesn't come up. It's not top of mind. And it's, that just shows like what type of world that we live in, you know? And I think that's, it's heavy, um, but it's necessary to talk about. And I love that what you were saying about the, you're teaching your kids to your worst nightmare or your worst fear. And that's not something I'd even consider, but that's exactly accurate. I mean, that's spot on. Now, as we're kind of nearing towards maybe the end of the podcast, I want to get your thoughts on there's, there's a lot of different like questions um, and stuff I want to talk about. Um, But I want to get your thoughts on 
Um, well, let's let's do this actually. Um, I know folks may be listening. I've done an intro and I've talked up the the stacks as well, but maybe let's do what's been your favorite thing about creating the stacks that you've been really proud of or excited about. Um, that's made like a like well let me let me let me couch this question in that one thing that I really take pride on in this podcast is you know I I feel like it's um it's evolved to the point now where I take it as an opportunity to educate and empower young white parents who listen. Well, I know it's primarily white parents listen, but young parents who listen to raise more inclusive kids. Um, so that's the goal. And that's what I strive to do. And I, I take a lot of pride when I get messages where I can, where I know that it's made a difference. So, um, I would love to know like what type of, um, maybe in a similar spirit type of, um, positivity you've received or, um, felt as a result of creating the stacks. I mean, yeah, every time someone tells me they picked up a book that I suggested and they read it and they loved it. That always makes me really happy, especially if it's a book that they've never heard of or was not on their radar at all. Um, one book that actually I should recommend to you if you haven't read it yet was our book club pick in July. It's called Breathe by Imani Perry and it's a letter to her sons. She's a black woman. She has two black sons. It kind of fits into the conversation we're having right now. It's very short it's really incredible. And that was a book that was not on my radar before um, picking it for the show, really. I, I discussed it with um, author Kiese Lehman, who is just so perfect and wonderful. And um, it was not really on my radar. And as soon as I read it, I freaked out because I was like, oh my God, people are going to freak out about this book. This book is so good. It came out in 2019. Also actually Beacon Press, same publisher as okay. White Fragility. White Fragility. They're one of my favorite publishers, I have to say. Anyways, um, same. Uh, I was like, people are going to freak out. I can't believe this book didn't get any play. And I swear to you, so many people read the book and just loved it and just were so moved by it, myself included. And so when that happens, when I, when I feel like I, like, not that I discovered the book, but when I feel like I could be like an influencer for a book that I think is really good, like that makes me so happy. I love that. That's awesome. I love that. Um, if there is maybe one lasting piece of advice before we go to the final segment here, there's one lasting piece of advice you want to give, uh, people, readers, parents, uh, anybody who's listening, who wants to educate themselves and do better, what is a piece of advice you would leave, leave them with? So one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about and that I'm, I think is important and is getting lost in a lot of these book lists and things, which I, perpe I perpetuate book lists. I'm a book list maker. To be fair, mm -hmm. I've been doing it for a long time before all of this, but I know it's very in vogue to make a book list. But one of the sure. things I want to say is that if all you're doing is reading about things, you're part of the problem. You've got to yeah. be spurred into action. So it's not enough to it's not enough to read 50 books on race and to know tons and tons of information about race if you're not agitating, advocating, taking action, donating, um, making those phone calls, registered to vote. If you haven't your census, like there's so many action items, and if you're not taking action. I don't care how many books you've read. I actually would prefer that you take action and use that time to take action and then not actually read anything. I'm going to be honest. Like if I had to yeah. choose between calling the attorney general of Kentucky to get justice for Breonna Taylor or reading white trash by Nell Irvin Painter, I'm going to tell you to make that phone call 
a hundred times out of a hundred. So yeah. I, yes, if you can balance the two things, great. I know as a parent, there's not a lot of time for that. Um, so, you know, if you're not doing something, if you're not being an accomplice to black people in your life, if you don't have black people in your life, like you gotta do better. Um, so yeah, yeah I, I, that would be my advice. I love it. Very nice. Well, we are going to now transition into my favorite segment of the show. It's the dad joke of the week. It's a segment where I hurl dad jokes at my unsuspecting guest in an attempt to get them to laugh while the audience groans, but I can't hear the audience. I can only hear my guest. So it works out. Uh, but I do like to put the guest on the spot. Tracy, do you have any jokes you would like to offer up? I hate jokes. <laughs> this is going to be painfully hilarious. Yeah, this is not good for you. I, I hate comedy. I don't go to stand up. Like I don't watch stand up. I like to laugh. I hate <laughs> jokes. I don't think jokes are funny. Then I'm about to get some excellent crickets um, for these three uh, jokes. I picked literature themed uh, oh, jokes. Gosh. Okay. So this can be especially cringy. But here we go. It's the it's part of the show. I do it every week. So, <clears throat> all right. <laughs> I'm just prepping for the for the silence. Uh, Tracy, uh, why do writers always feel cold? Why? Because they're always surrounded by drafts. Oh, that. <laughs> Uh, Tracy, um, why did the pregnant woman shout couldn't, shouldn't, and wouldn't? I don't know. She was having contractions. Oh. She was having, having contractions. Yes, all right, last one. <laughs> Tracy, <laughs> what would you find in Charles Dickens' pantry? Ooh, the, no, no, no. the best of time and the worst of time. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tracy, thank you so much. Uh, not only did the audience groan, uh, but you did, and it was a special double delight. So it was yeah. perfect. So there we go. <laughs> really keeping it on brand, making me feel older and older by the minute. So, um, <laughs> Tracy, if people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? You can follow me at the Stacks Pod on Instagram and at the Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And you can go to the Stacks website, website thestackspodcast.com, where you can find the podcast. Um, obviously, you can search the Stacks anywhere that you're listening to this podcast right now. Perfect. And of course, I'll put the links in the show notes as well, so that way folks can go listen and subscribe because it is fantastic and I love it and it's amazing. Ba 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 ba. Um, yes. Okay. So we do need a hashtag to close out the episode. Um, I've got a couple that I wanted to get your opinion on. Of course, we could do um, hashtag the stacks or the stacks podcast. That's always an option. Um, but I wrote down hashtag diversify your bookshelf, and I wanted to get your opinion on that. I think that's already a hashtag. Oh, I think you might be right. That's why it sounded so good. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, I know diversify. I know diversify your bookshelf or something like that is one. Yes. 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 Um, let's do. Let me see here. How about um, driven hashtag driven to action? Is that just for this episode or? Yeah, it's just for this episode. Sure. All right, perfect. 
<laughs> Tracy, thank you so much again for coming on. This has been absolutely incredible and long overdue. I was super excited to have you come on. So thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. This was such a treat. I never get to talk about anything but books. So I'm honored okay. to get to talk about something I know even less about, which is parenting. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Well, listeners, we'll be back next week with another great episode. Uh, but until next time, hashtag driven to action and hashtag be a better dad. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Detox Podcast or visit detoxpodcast.com. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W.com.